Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. We have become accustomed to living in constant fear, paralyzed by the ever-growing list of things that make us afraid. This is no way to live. Thankfully, this state of fearful worry can be escaped. God's Word is full of commands to release fear. We can't elude the things that have the potential to create fear, but they do not have to lead to our ruin. Through faith, we can face all things, knowing God's promises are true and His power is sufficient. In Christ, we can live fearless. Well, good evening, Vintage Church. Oh yeah, woo, that's right. That is the way that we do Monday nights. Amen? That's right. Y'all, we are in the third part of a series that for the last two weeks was called Fearless, but now it's called Courageous. Okay, good. Everybody's alive. Y'all are going to talk to me tonight, right? Yeah, okay, good, because this is, this is not just about me and, you know, having prepared something to tell you. This is about us together and understanding the Word of God together. So I need you guys to be here with me tonight, and you can do that by, by saying amen or that's right or you know, oh me or oh my or whatever you need to say um, to participate in this, because this is, this is for all of us. This message that, that God has written on my heart is for, for me and, and for us here tonight. See, in this series of fearless slash courageous, we have been looking at the faithfulness and leadership of two men in the Old Testament by the names of Moses and Joshua. Now, Moses and Joshua are two very important people because they are people who who led the children of Israel to the places that God had promised. And if you're, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible or who these two people are and you'd like to learn more about them, you can do that by, uh, you can, we have Bibles here, y'all. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles at our welcome table. We would love for you to pick one of those up. And if you want to read about Moses, you can do that by flipping to the very second book of the Bible called Exodus. So you're all the way at the beginning, there's Genesis and then Exodus. And that's going to tell you about Moses and about his whole life and the way that God shows up and grows him and leads him to be this faithful leader. And then we're also going to be talking about Joshua. And Joshua is Moses' protege. And you could read about Joshua in the book of Joshua. Uh, that's a few few books later, but still in the Old Testament. And I encourage you uh, over the next few weeks as we continue in this series to, to read about Moses and about Joshua. And through this series, we've been walking through this idea that faithful does not mean fearless. Sometimes we think that in or if, if we are truly faithful, we will never be fearful. And I simply just don't think that's true because we are human. And fear is a very natural human response to things that are dangerous or things that are unfamiliar. We get into these situations and we have something that kind of rises up in us. Sometimes it's been our saving grace. It's kept us out of trouble. You know, you, you, you do something and, and you know you're maybe not supposed to do it and you, you feel that thing inside of you that's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. It's, part of that is, is fear and, and conviction because you, you know that you don't, need to walk in that particular direction. And God knew 
that Joshua, as he walked the children of Israel into these steps, into these places that, that he needed to lead the children of Israel, that he would need that reminder to have faith, to be strong, to be courageous. And so God says this to Joshua in Joshua chapter one, verse nine, he says this, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. He said, you're going to go a lot of places that might be kind of scary. You're going to go a lot of places where you feel like there's no way that we can win. You're going to face many battles, but here's the thing. I'm going to be with you wherever you go, so be strong and courageous. That was his command. So the promise is not that we will never experience fearful circumstances, but the command is to be faithful in obedience, in the midst of fearful circumstances. You see, faith becomes an, or fear becomes an obstacle to faith because sometimes we think that, that fear, when, or faith should remove that obstacle, right? We think, okay, if I can just have enough faith, this thing that I'm facing is just gonna go away. And that's not the case. When we face something that's, scary and we have faith. It's, it's not faith to get it out of the way. It's faith to overcome it. It's faith that we're going to be able to make it through or over the thing that, that is scary in, in our midst. And I don't know about y'all, but, but one thing that, that scares me is not knowing where I'm going. Anybody in here ever been lost? Like literally ever been lost? So I, um, I actually have a, a kind of an uncanny sense of direction. Like I, I can find my way around cities that I've never been to. I can pretty much figure out like this is, this is the direction that we need to go. And most of the time I am right. I and my family, I am the navigator and my husband is the driver. Um, that doesn't mean that he's actually the, the better of the drivers. It's just, he's the more fearless of the drivers and I'm the more confident of the navigators. So, you know, it works that way. But I remember one time uh, when I was a kid, when, when I didn't know my way in a situation where I really felt like I should know the way. So, I was about 12 or 13 years old, and I'm from the mountains, so I, I love to be in the woods. I love to hike. I love being in nature, all of those things. And um, up by my grandparents were my neighbors growing up, and I hiked and walked around the mountains all behind our, our homes. And one day in the fall, I decided to go on a hike behind my grandparents' house. And my sister and her friend Julie decided they would like to go with me. So I was very into this because that meant that I got to be the leader. I got to tell other people what to do and where to go, uh, which was really my jam. And I started, you know, showing them, oh, this is Rhododendron Ridge. I named all the things. There's Rhododendron Ridge. And then, oh, here's Tadpole Pond. And then we got past Tadpole Pond. And because it was fall, all the leaves had fallen off the trees. And the path was covered. But I kept walking on in confidence because I knew where I was going. Until all of a sudden, I had no idea where I was. We had walked for probably 15 or 20 minutes 
And now I did not have any idea where I, I looked around. I was like, I don't know that house. I don't know that house. And I don't know that house. Oh, we're lost. And I've got, I've got my baby sister, who wasn't mean. She was like nine, you know, babyish. And, and her friend, and they're depending on me to get them forward and to get them home. And I don't know where I am. So I start, like, I haven't, I haven't quite yet let on yet that I'm lost. Because I, I don't know that I fully believed that I was lost yet. So I start walking. And then I get to another place where I'm like, I don't know that house. I don't know that house. I don't know that house. Okay, let's go this way. And I, in my my fear and my, I kind of start panic and that, that feeling starts rising up and, and you just kind of get a little crazy and you, you start just tr- trying to walk in any direction that you can. And by this time, my sister and her friend had caught on like that. We did not know where we were and they started crying. So I have Brittany and Julie behind me and they're like, ah, we're lost, we can't get home. And I'm like, it's okay, okay, we can, we can figure this out. And I just start, I, keep, I just keep walking and, and I keep walking and I'm starting to panic. And I can feel that thing in me that's like, oh, we are never gonna get home. They're gonna have to send like helicopters and search teams out for us. This is gonna be bad. We're gonna be those kids on the news. This is not good, this is, this is really bad, this is really bad. And then the worst of the worst things that could possibly happen to a 13-year-old girl in the woods happened. I looked down, and there was a spider on my leg the size of a dinner plate. I am not kidding. I screamed to the top of my lungs because not only were we lost, I was now going to have to cut off my leg, and it I was going to bleed. I was always going to be bad. And in the midst of this panic, my instinct finally kicked in to pray. And there in the woods, as a 13-year-old girl, I dropped to my knees. My sister and her friend dropped to their knees too, and I just started to pray. And I prayed, God, please, please get us out of here. We just want to go home. Amen. <laughs> we stood up. God didn't show me the way home, but what he did was he gave me peace. In that moment, it was like everything just went, whew, okay, let's just, start, let's just start walking. And after meandering for a few more minutes, I found a place that was familiar again, and we walked on home. Have you ever, have you ever been in a situation like that, whether literal or, figure, or figurative? A place where you think, I know, I know I've been here before, something like this, but I don't know how to get from here to where I think that I should be going. Anybody? Yeah. Well, you're not the only ones. Um, Back in the Old Testament, when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, where they had been enslaved for hundreds of years, uh, they had a situation where they didn't know the way. You see, Moses was the only one who had been out, really outside of the, the city where they had been enslaved. He, he was the only one that had been in the desert. So he could lead them out of, of Egypt. But then there came a point where it was kind of at the end of what he knew and what was familiar. And so in order to get the children of Israel out of slavery— 
and out of the desert and to the promised land that the God had said, hey, this is, this is the land that I promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And I am going, I am a faithful God and I need to bring you to it. And they were like, but we don't know how to get there. And so God said, okay, I am going to provide a way for you to know the way. I am going to be over you as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And you just follow that cloud. You follow that pillar of fire. And I'm going to show you the way to go, the way to get out of Egypt and to the promised land that I have provided for you. So the children of Israel, they leave Egypt They start walking through the desert. They're leaving and they're following God's presence, God's cloud, God's fire, until they get to a place near the Red Sea. And at this place near the Red Sea, they decided to set up camp because they've been walking for a long time. And this isn't just like 15 people we're talking about. This is like a million people that we're talking about. And they had babies. And they had elderly people, and they, they couldn't just keep walking day and night forever and always. They needed to rest. They needed to, to camp. So they set up camp. Well, in the meantime, back in Egypt, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, starts thinking about what has just happened. You see, Moses had come into Egypt and said, Pharaoh, Let my people go. Do you remember the song? Did you sing it at camp? You did, didn't you? Because you're going to sing it with me right now. Are you ready? Here we go. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, baby, let my. (laughs) Y'all know it, and you're so scared to sing in church when there's not a band, aren't you? (laughs) Um, So he came and he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, nope. You see, they are my slaves. They do all the labor around here. Um, No. And Moses says, well, then God's going to rain down all these plagues on you. And Pharaoh's like, bring it on. And he does bring it on. So God rains down all of these plagues. And this is a very abridged version of what happens in the book of Exodus. But in the end, After all the plagues and all the things and all the terrible, horrible things that God rained down on Pharaoh, Pharaoh's like, fine, go. Oh, my goodness, please, for the love, get out of Egypt. And they do. Well, while the children of Israel are camped out near the Red Sea, Pharaoh starts thinking, oh, I don't have any workers anymore. I have just let all these people escape. I have let them all go. Now they're all gonna, they're gonna go out into the desert. They're gonna team up with all my enemies. They're gonna come back and they're gonna conquer us. This is not good. This is not good. We're gonna go after them. So Pharaoh gathers up his army and goes after the children of Israel to bring them back into Egypt as his slaves. So here we have our Israelites faithfully following God as that cloud, as that fire, and they're camped out, just waiting to see what, you know, what are we going to do next? Hopefully take a nap. When all of a sudden, they notice in the distance, Pharaoh's army is coming. And right over there is the Red Sea. 
if we go this way, we're going to die or be enslaved again, which is worse than death. Or if we go this way across that sea, we're probably going to die. What are we going to do? Now, they got pretty worked up about this whole situation And they started complaining and crying out to Moses and to the Lord. And they literally said, Moses, are you serious? Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us all the way out here in the desert to die? We would have been better off if you had left us as slaves in Egypt. And Moses is like, okay. Lord, what? And the Lord answered as he does. He said, Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, he said, The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. I'm sorry, what? Do you see what forward is, God? There's like a sea here. Do you see the sea? I see the sea. You want me to go forward? Diving board? If we, how are we going to go forward? God says this. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. You see, faith will always beckon us forward, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when you're thinking there is no way forward, that way is blocked. Faith is always going to beckon us forward. And God is always going to make a way for us to go forward. You see, that that word forward, in some translations it says, tell the people of Israel to break camp or to move on. In other words, he says, don't get comfortable. I, I know that you finally, you got to a place where you're like, finally, whew, finally I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. Finally, my family's not sick anymore. Finally, we have gotten over this this hurdle. Finally, my kid's starting making A's. Finally, I have a friend. Finally, like I've gotten gotten to this place. And what we want to do is we want to get really comfortable there. And we want to just set up camp. And we're just going to stay here, God, and we're just going to stay in your goodness and these blessings that you've given to us. And God says, no, no, no. Move forward. Break camp. I know you're comfortable, but what I've got is better than your comfort right here. But you've got to go forward. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, it's, it's, he's using uh, the same language that you'd use like running in a race. Like, 
I'm not a runner, so we're not going to pretend that I am, but I understand enough to know that when I'm running, I need to keep my eyes fixed ahead. Because if I look behind me while I'm running, one of two things is going to happen. If I'm running and I have my eye set to win, I have my eye set to go forward. If I look behind me, one of two things is going to happen. I'm either going to fall behind or I'm going to fall on my face. One of those two things will happen every single time. But you see, when we're running, sometimes we start to get afraid, right? If I'm running the race and I'm running it to win, which I'm running it to win, if I'm going to run, let's just be real, which if I'm running the race to win, I, I have to keep my eyes ahead of me. But sometimes my temptation might be to check over my shoulder to make sure that nobody's getting too close. Nobody's edging me out. Maybe I'm a really confident runner and I'm looking around me to make sure that other people are seeing how good I'm doing at my race. Or maybe I'm looking around as I'm running my race to make sure nobody's looking at me because I'm not doing very well. When we do anything other than look ahead of us, we're not going to be able to lay hold of the prize that he has for us, that promise that he has for us, that his presence is always going to be there, that he has an abundant life for us as we move forward in faith. You see, the enemy wants to leverage fear to keep you from moving forward because fear will break your focus. When you are running that race and you are, are focused and, and you're set to move forward like we are every January, right? You've got your goals and you've got your resolutions and you've got your words of the year and you're, you're determined, I'm running my race. I don't care how much weight I gained last year. This year, I'm losing it all, baby. You know, this year, I am going to read my Bible every single day. This year, I'm going to be nice to my husband every single day. And then by January 2nd, and you're like, did I really make that promise? Is that, am I sure that that was my determination? I don't know. But fear, all these things will break our focus, our determination. We, we have such determination going into January. And we find times in our faith that our faith is, starts to be renewed and we're like, oh, I'm going to do this. God, I am going to follow after you. I'm going to follow hard after you. Whatever you say, I am going to do no matter what. Until you hear that little voice that says, really? No matter what? But what if dot, 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 dot. And that little twinge of fear creeps in. Sometimes when that fear creeps in, we stall. We stall because maybe we, we justify it by we're waiting on better circumstances to move forward. Sometimes we, we get in a really big hurry and we rush ahead without paying attention to where God is leading us. And then we end up in another mess. Or we get distracted by all of the things. You know what all of the things are, right? The things that you have to do first. The things that other people are doing. The things that other people need. Um, uh, the things that are little squares on our phones. All of those things are things that distract us. Things that keep us from looking forward. We have this temptation to look back 
to lean back into the familiar, even if it means forfeiting the ground that we've gained or the hope that we had. We, we go forward, we've got the best of intentions, but fear kind of tags along like a, a little bag full of these things called yeah buts. These yeah but first. And we've got a pocket full of them. Yeah, God, I'll do that, but yeah, but, but first. And Jesus encountered this too in his life. And let's look together at Luke chapter 9, verse 61. A man came up to him and he said, I will follow you, Lord, but first. Let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. Now, this is not an unreasonable request, right? Like, Jesus, I'm super going to follow you all the way. But first, like, I need to go say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Really, Jesus? Like, you won't even let me go say goodbye to my family? I thought you were a loving God. I thought you wanted us to love our family. That's not at all what he's saying here. Because Jesus knows what happens when we are looking forward and we are determined to go forward and we start to look back. We go to our house and we say goodbye to our, our family. And we say, Mom, I'm, I'm going to go follow Jesus. I'm going to go do this thing. And your mom says, really? I made beef stew tonight. It's your favorite. Why don't you just stay for dinner? You're like, okay, okay. I just, I'll stay for dinner. Just dinner though. And then I have to go. I told Jesus I was going to go. I'll stay for dinner though. Because it's beef stew and I need my energy. And then dinner comes and your dad, he comes and sits down by you at the table. And then he pulls up your baby book. And he opens it. He's like, oh, I remember the day you were born. And look, here's your first little lock of hair. And here's all your teeth that the tooth fairy returned. And oh, the, that's your, that was when you first started to walk. I remember all of these things. I just don't know how I'm going to live without you. I just don't, I can't let you go. And, and then by the end, you're like, fine, daddy, I'll stay. Jesus knows this. He knows this about you because you do have things that you love. But God wants us to love him first, to love him the most. And that's why he says, you cannot look back. Because if you want to be fit for the kingdom of God, you have to keep looking forward. Now, just like I'm not a runner, I'm also not a farmer. But I do understand this thing that he's talking about, putting your hand to the plow. You see, the greatest occupational hazard to a plowman is to plow while looking behind him. If you look behind you to make sure that your row is straight, you're never going to have straight rows. And that's the whole goal of somebody who's plowing a field is to have straight rows. And so the way that you make straight rows is by fixing your eyes on a stationary object out in the distance. One thing you lock in with your eyes and then you put your hand on the plow firmly. And then you start to move forward, steady, intentional, keeping your eyes locked. And by the time that you get to the edge of your field, you have made a straight road because your eyes never wavered from your destination. 
there was a time that the children of Israel needed again to know the, the way that they were supposed to go. Let's look at Joshua chapter 3. You see, the Israelites had, again, after 40 years, wandering in the desert, come to another body of water. Now, God had already led them through the Red Sea. And now here they were standing at the edge of the Jordan. But here's the thing. When they stood at the edge of the Red Sea, what was on the other side was just more desert. But now here they are at the edge of the Jordan. And what is on the other side is the promised land. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. You see, just like the Israelite, God was with the Israelites in that cloud or that pillar of fire, he promised that his presence would be over that Ark of the Covenant. And that is what they were to follow. That's where he would be. So once again, he's showing them the way that they are going to cross over the Jordan River. Verse 4, however, there shall be between you and it the, the Ark of the Covenant, a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. You see, they had to stand a distance away. It says 2,000 cubits away from the Ark of the Covenant. That's about a 1,000 yards. It's a little more than half a mile away from the Ark of the Covenant, where, where God's presence was promised to be. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm following Jesus, I always thought, like, I'm supposed to be, like, right here. Like, God, wherever you're going, I'm going to be, like, right in step with you. I don't want to be half a mile from, from where you are. So why does God tell them to stay 2,000 cubits away from the Ark of the Covenant? Well, there are a few reasons for this. First, so back in this day when um, a military would go into battle, the thing that went out first was the king. The king would ride out before the vast army by himself with a personal guard. He did this for a couple of reasons. First, he did this because he was the leader. He did this to say, I am going to make a way for you. I am going to go Right now, I'm going to go before you where I'm asking you to come behind me. He would also go out as an act of intimidation. Now, if I were an army captain, colonel person, which I'm not, apparently I'm not a runner, I'm not a farmer, and I'm not a military commander, thank God. Um, I would put my biggest men with their biggest guns on the front line, and they're going to go out first. Because that's the most scary thing. But see, the king knows better. He's smart because he says, no, I'm going to go out alone. Because that's a show of might. That's a show of I am powerful. I am going to go out and I'm going to stand alone. And that's what God does. He goes before us. He makes a way and he says, 
I am here. I am powerful. But then the other reason that that ark had to go out before them and, and they had to stay that distance away, he's, it says it in that verse. It says, don't come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. The times that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus the most is when we find our place in a place that we've never been before. When we find ourselves in the middle of a very unfamiliar set of circumstances. You see, if they had rushed up around the ark, if they had rushed in crowd of it, only a few people would have been able to see it. So many people would have been at a disadvantage. The people following behind would just have to trust the person in front of them that they knew where they were going. Instead, God says, no, I need you to, I need you to all follow me. So he goes out first because they had not been in this situation before. And some of them, but we've, I mean, we've done this before. We crossed the Red Sea. Like we've been here before. This is basically the same thing, right? So why do you say like we haven't been here before? Then the next thing that he says in verse five, it says, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. That consecrate, that word consecrate, it's it's an intentional time of preparation that has nothing to do with making plans. Consecration is an intentional cleansing, repentance. It's setting yourself apart in order to declare that you are willing and ready to be used by God. You see, we don't just thoughtlessly fly forward in faith to follow God. It is a conscious decision. It is a time that we have prepared for. It is a time that we've looked at our lives and said, God, in order for me to move forward, I'm not going to be, I can't carry this with me. I can't walk ahead in filth. I have to wash my garments. I need to clean my mind out before I can follow you any further because where you're asking me to go, this is not going to serve me very well. Walking forward in faith will require consecration because with consecration comes courage. Verse 6 says, Joshua spoke to the priests, speaking of courage, and says, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now, this Ark of the Covenant is something that Moses had built when they were back in the desert and they were building the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant was made of acacia wood and then covered in gold. It was essentially a a box made of wood. It was about four feet long, a little more than four feet long, about three feet wide and three feet tall, and there was two big cherubim on the top of it, um, all made out of wood and gold. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant were the stone tablets on which the law of Moses had been written. That was inside of it. All of this together would have weighed anywhere between 3,000 and 5,000 pounds. This was not a small gift box. This was like more than an elephant, Even at its lowest weight, if 12 people had been carrying the Ark of the Covenant, each person would have had a load of about 250 pounds. 
each one. So not only were they being asked to walk forward ahead of the people into the Jordan River, but they were also carrying a very heavy burden. And sometimes we are going to be asked to step forward in faith, and we are also going to have to carry a burden along with us. Now the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. You shall what now? You shall stand in it? Like in the water? But God, Moses just stretched out his staff. Like he just went like this and the waters parted. Like, can we do that again? God isn't always going to show up in the same ways. He's not always going to provide in the same ways that he has before. Because if he did, we wouldn't have to have faith. We would just know, oh, this is God. This is how you do this right now, right? Cool. We'll step forward. But sometimes God, God says, I need to do this in a different way. He needed to do this in a different way because he needed to to tell Israel that he was with Joshua just as much as he was with Moses. And they could trust him and they could follow him as a leader. And so he was going to have to step out and do something that he had never seen done before. That he was going to have to command armies in ways that they had never seen before. Verse 9, then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will drive out from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. Pay attention to the number of times he has to say that. The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. He had to remind them, this is who we're following. It's crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. He's saying, look, look for the Lord. He is ahead of you. He is making ready the way in which you are to walk. Now then take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off. And the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. You see, the priests had to step in the water. The soles of their feet, not their little tippy toes at the edge. The soles of their feet, and not just the first priest carrying the ark, all of the priests. It says the priests, plural, when their feet, when the soles of their feet are in the water, I will stop the flow of water. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, P.S., for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. Okay, I would have led with that if I had been writing this chapter to say, like, it was a dark and stormy day, and the waters of the Jordan were at flood stage. But instead, it waits until verse 15 to tell it, because that's the afterthought. 
Yes, it's big and scary, but the important thing is that God is going before them. Now, here's the thing. At flood stage, the Jordan River could have been anywhere from 200 yards to a mile across. And it could have been anywhere from 10 to 20 feet deep with very swiftly, rapidly moving water. This was not a creek that they were going to step into. This was sure death that they were going to step into. And that is what God was asking them to do. Verse 16, the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away. And those which were flowing down toward the salt sea were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And can you imagine those conversations? Can you imagine as they crossed over the Jordan River, dried up? Can you imagine that little boy who looks up at his mom and says, Mom, Mom, I remember Grandpa telling me about this. I remember. I remember it was, it was the, the blue sea. Mm. Pink, red, red. It was the Red Sea. Right, Mom? Do you remember that? And she looks down. She's like, yeah, I do remember that because I was about your age when we crossed over that Jordan River or when we crossed that Red Sea. Can you imagine the way that they, they traveled across knowing that God had done it? Verse 17, and the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. This was about two million people that had to get across. While the priests stood there holding their 250 pounds each, this would have taken all day in order to get them all across my guess is that as they crossed the Jordan River, those who crossed by closest to the Ark of the Covenant, close to the presence of the Lord, were in awe. God, you did this. You, you, you dried up the ground. You made a way. While the people who were further from his presence saw the heap of water. They saw the obstacle. They saw the thing that could possibly kill them. And they're like, God, you sure about this? I don't, I don't think that's going to hold very much longer. Maybe we should run. Because they were further away from the presence of God. It very much matters that when we're walking, that we do stay close. And if we can't be close, at least our eyes need to be fixed on him. So the story goes, they... They all cross on dry ground. And then Joshua sends the 12 men that had been appointed from each tribe back into the dry riverbed to pick up a stone. And then they brought the stone back to their camp on the other side and they stacked these 12 stones up. The priest stepped out of the Jordan with the Ark of the Covenant and the waters started to flow again. And in Joshua chapter 4, Verse 21, it says this. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful 
and so that you might always fear the Lord your God, that you might always stand in awe of him, that you might always remember and revere and respect and honor what he has done for you. It also teaches us to pay attention to piles of rocks, to ask questions of those who have gone before us. See, this weekend, um, my husband and I had the pleasure of visiting with his grandparents for several hours. And as we sat there, they're in their late 80s. And as we sat there, just talking about all kinds of things like snack preferences, they started telling us about the ways that God had been faithful to them. They started talking about the ways that God had shown up in their lives and how the Holy Spirit had led them from this place to this place. And as they sat on the edge of their bed, his grandfather patted his chest with tears in his eyes and he said, I remember like it was yesterday the way that God led us from this place to this place the way that he has led us here. And in my mind, I thought, God, you have. Like, I'm sitting here and I get to witness the testimony of your faithfulness in their lives. And I know the faithfulness of you in in my life. And it's about that time that I got a text message from Matt that said, hey, I've got the flu. I won't be able to preach on Sunday. Okay. Really? Okay. And in that moment, as I sat there, it was like God knew. None of this surprised God. I was sitting here witnessing the faithfulness of God to Lyle's grandparents, and I was going to get to testify to the faithfulness of God in my own life while preaching about the, te- the, the faithfulness of God to the children of Israel thousands of years ago. Don't tell me that God doesn't write great stories. Because his grandparents told us about how God was faithful to them. Who are you telling? What stones are you setting up so that somebody else can come behind you and say, what's that all about? Because God's faithfulness to you, newsflash, is not just for you. It is for his glory. It is for his kingdom. It is so that more people will know him and believe him. But sometimes we don't know where we're going. We know that we want to be faithful. We know that we want to to follow him. We know that we want to go forward. And his disciples, Jesus' disciples, were the same way. But sometimes they weren't sure where to go. Jesus says this in John chapter 14. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. So that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. (laughs) And Thomas, our favorite disciple, he says what what we're all thinking, what they were all thinking. He says, Lord, (laughs) We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And you're standing here in your life. You're like, God, I want to follow you. But I don't know the way. I don't, I don't know the way forward. And I think Jesus answers us the exact same way that he answered Thomas that day. And he looked him in the eye and he said, oh, Thomas, you do know the way. Because you know me. I am the way. 
I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father on whom we have our eyes fixed, except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And just like the Israelites stood at a distance and they saw God as a cloud, God as a pillar of fire. They saw God's presence hovering over the Ark of the Covenant to show them the way to go forward. God gave us Jesus to keep our eyes fixed on him when we don't know the way because he is the way. And he promised us that he would always be with us. That's the last thing that he promised us. Before he left this earth, he told the disciples, go and make disciples. And then he said, this is, this is my promise to you. I am with you always to the end of the age. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes tonight? Maybe tonight you are sitting here and you're like Joshua, somebody who's being asked to lead in a way that no one has ever seen before, much less you. Maybe you didn't see your parents have a healthy marriage. Maybe you don't know what it takes to be a godly father. Maybe you don't know what it is to be a woman who overcomes addiction because you've never seen it before. And God's just saying, I know you haven't seen it before, but do it anyway, because I am right here with you. And maybe you're like the priests who had to gather their courage and step their feet into a raging river. God's calling you to go first, to be the one to lead the way. Take a risk and step into something that seems dangerous because there are people coming behind you that need your faithfulness in order to help calm their fear, to help build up their faith. Maybe you're like the Israelites and you just have to have the courage to keep your eyes fixed on God in order to move forward, forward out of your comfort, forward out of your past, forward out of your patterns, forward out of your insecurities and follow him into the promise and the plan that he has for you to live an abundant life. Wherever you are, let me encourage you with this word from the Lord from Isaiah 43. Now, this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, the one who formed you. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You, you are mine. I will be with you when you pass through the waters. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel and your Savior. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. And God, it will not return to you void God, do your work here tonight. Help us to be obedient to what you are calling us to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage by downloading the Vintage Church app, where you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community. You'll also have access to our deeper podcast, which is a conversational deep dive into the message from the weekend. We hope you join us again soon.